Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is someone who's been on our screens for over 30 years now and is about to become Britain's best-known drug dealer, having joined the cast of Coronation Street as a menacing urban drug lord. You probably know him best from his 10-year run on two pints of lager and a packet of crisps and previous to that as part of the launch cast for Hollyoaks. Since then, he's gone on to star in Line of Duty, Broadchurch, No Offence, and having started life in Stockport, he now lives down south in Buckinghamshire with his wife of 14 years, Michelle, and their two teenage children, Jaden and Renee. As well as causing mayhem on the cobbles, he also hosts a brilliant podcast with former co-star Ralph Little called Two Pints with Will and Ralph. So we've got plenty to talk about, although technology is not our friend today. It's certainly not working in our favour. So by the time we actually get connected, Will feels like he sat through some sort of GCSE exam paper for computer science. Enjoy. (laughs) Sweet baby Jesus. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. We are actually, I mean, Will, that was hard, wasn't it? Trying to make that tech work. Seriously hard. It was was like literally two old people trying to work the DVD player in 1985. (laughs) It was so bad. I'm just so bad with technology. I mean, people who ever listen to my podcast know I don't do any of it. It's pure wizardry. Someone else does it all. I just sit here and talk. That's it. So finally, we can actually talk. Uh, Do you know what? I lost myself last night and then this morning on the way into work and then on my way home from the studio today to about eight episodes of you and Ralph and I love that podcast oh thank you very much that's very kind of you Kate cheers love it's the ultimate podcast hangout in as much as like you know like it's really early this morning I was going to work I didn't have any conversation in me but I was well up for joining yours and just leaning in and you two have got such a lovely shorthand together. You, you know, that, that that friendship is evident in the way you slag each other off, the anecdotes yeah. you share. Yeah, I think the key with it is we don't plan anything, really. I mean, I have a few notes or topical subjects I might want to include because it's current. Um, or, uh, But really, we just tend to just go with it. Um, and, and the reason why we started it up a long time ago... We went. I went to Silverstone. It was and, and Ralph was just there. We got invited. It was a random day, and I'd not seen him for ages. And as soon as we got together, the banter just started again. It was like no time had passed from the old two pints days. I mean, Missus said, "You need to do something together because you bring out something in each other." So sometimes I think I don't know what we're going to talk about today, and then all of a sudden we go right off piste on some random stuff, 
Um, but we we try to just let it flow and see what happens, you know. And um, as I say, when we get guests on, obviously that takes another direction. But yeah, uh, I'm I'm glad it's going well. Listen to Jason Manford today, and it was so lovely to to listen to you talk about how you all met because obviously on two pints, as you explain on your podcast, he was your warm up guy. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. He he started out as our warm up guy, and that's how we knew him. He, he was one of the best ones we had. And we just loved it when he was on because it's so important to have a warm-up guy in between scenes when you're filming that keeps the audience warm and ticking over. And Because it's such a hard job. It's such a difficult job that Jason had or any warm-up guy out or female has, whatever. Because the audience are not there to see them. They're there to see the show. And sometimes they're halfway through a, jo- a joke and then they get cut off. And it's like, right, we're ready to go. And then, like Jason said, sometimes you're halfway through a joke you've been setting up and then they just cut you off. And then So it's a tough gig, but he was brilliant at it. Oh, it really, it was lovely to hear, um, again, how you all started out. I have really enjoyed the nostalgia of your podcast. And it's it sort of takes me back to, you know, some of the times that you're talking about. I'm sort of stood in a field. I remember, where were we, Will? I was quite drunk at a festival. It might have been V, it might not. Do you know what I mean? But I just have these flashbacks of you. Um, yeah, I've got a few bears. flashbacks of you as well. <laughs> Listen, Do yeah, you remember I, I th- though, like, yeah, I think it was, I think we was at, uh, I think it was V because I've already been to Glastonbury twice, and I don't know if it was there because one was a her- horrendous experience where all the toilets tipped up and fell down the hills, and we were wading through. All I can say is it wasn't mud. I was wading through that in my flip flops trying to get to my car. <laughs> uh, uh, it was horrendous <laughs> between my toes and everything. So, and then they said the car park was locked, so I had to walk all the way back through it all. It was horrendous. Never again. But um, yeah, I think it was V Festival. Um, we'd all had a few sherbets and we was all just very, very happy. Um, and I remember you coming on. I think you came on Night Fever when I was on that as well, when I hosted that all the years That's ago on Channel right. 5. Great times though, because everything was like possible. You know, it's like, wait, look at this. And it, you live for the moment. You live for, who cares oh. what happens tomorrow? Today's great. You know what I mean? It was brilliant days. I sometimes say that, the youth is wasted on the young because you don't really know what you've got until he's gone. You know what I mean? You, you, used to take, you used to take drinking all night and not having a hangover the next day for granted. Now, if I have a drink now, if I, if I have a proper drink, I'm gone for at least four or five days. I'm like... Oh, uh, me too. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, if, it, if it, you it, have a big Friday, you're looking at Wednesday before you're all right again. I said, that's just true that, you know, I think, right, I'm a working Monday because I'm going to go out Friday. I used to... Honest yeah. to God... <laughs> I used to go straight to work on Ollie Oaks when we all lived in the house together. We'd party till four in the morning. I'd be in work at seven. No problem. Bounce out of bed. Boom. Straight on set. New on my lines. Oh, no, no, yo, it's terrible now. It's, uh, it's... Can't do it now. No, no. I literally count the glasses of wine. And it's not so painful now that our children aren't so young. But do you remember, like, I mean, like the number of Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings I've been stood at football matches just dying on my feet with all the yeah. other hungover parents. Yeah, and and, you, and, the and also the guilt that comes with it. If you don't go, the guilt isn't worth it because I I remember I was out in Manchester. I went out with a couple of my friends who went Man United game. It was Man United against Liverpool. They were Liverpool fans. I got us some tickets. We was in the in the box, free drinks and all that, straight down the neck. We was out all night in Manchester. And the next day, my son had a football match at about one in the afternoon, and I was in Manchester, and it was down south, so it was a three-hour drive, and I had to get up and drive all the way just to stand by the side of a pitch to watch an under-14 football match. (laughs) I don't even know if he appreciated the effort. I was just like, do you understand what I've had to go through to be here? (laughs) It was horrendous, the worst drive ever. And now, of course, you've got a huge uh, schedule in front of you with Corrie, because I've never seen you, I mean... The last thing I watched you in, because I watched Broadchurch in lockdown, never seen it before. You're bloody brilliant in it. You really Thank were. You. And, and, and as someone that knows you, I was just like, you know, that's not Will. Of course it's not. He's an actor, you idiot. But, you know, yeah. you, were, you were stunning in that. But I can't ever imagine you being an urban drug dealing <laughs> asshole. But you are. Thanks. Yeah. I think that's the best description <laughs> of my character anyone's ever done. Uh, but yeah, I'm... I'm it, it was what attracted to me, me to it a little bit. I mean, I always said, if, they, if, I, if Coronation Street ever come asking, I'll do it. You know what I mean? Obviously, I don't want to go and stay in it for five to ten years. You know what I mean? Because I, 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 I like to bounce off and do loads of different things. But they came in and they said, there's this character. And 
and I, and straight away I said yes because it was uh, it's something it's a challenge for me and it's also something different. And I, if you go into a soap like Coronation Street, you want to go and make a bit of a splash. You want to go and create a few waves and playing this character. Yeah. Will do that a little bit, and and it's and it's interesting for me to play because uh, it's he is a, an ultimate real baddie. I mean, he's horrendous. He gets innocent kids and parents to sell drugs for him, and he, the reason why he does that is because they're under the drug squad's radar. They won't be watching them and. He creams of profits, and if they get caught, they get arrested. It's, it's horrible. And, and you know, there's people out there that do that. So, you know, it's a real yeah. character, and I'm enjoying playing it. And, and I'm dead chuffed for my mum because she's waited 32 years for me to be in Coronation Street. So all the jobs I've done, all the career and everything I've done, Corey, she just said when I was 12, when I started acting, I just want him to be in Cora. That's all I want. I'll be over the moon. So finally, <laughs> finally, I'm walking down the... Well, I'm, I'm on the street on Friday, yeah, 12th of March. That takes me perfectly to my first question to you because I know that your mum has always used Corrie as her yardstick for your success. Like, if you can do <laughs> Corrie, she's happy. I wondered, how has your measure of success changed as you've got older and what have been the other big successes for you and turning points? I think it was just when I was a kid, starting out, I was 12 years old, there was an acting agent that was opening their doors and their books to people who... People who, uh, who didn't go to drama school or... I, we couldn't afford to go. We was, I'm a working-class family, you know, we come from a council estate. We couldn't, couldn't afford to go to places. Even Olden Theatre Workshop, it would have cost money to get me there. We couldn't afford that. So, And I was just a kid that I had so much energy and confidence and I just was dying to do this. And uh, I saw it in the paper, they were doing an open audition. And I, um, I said to mum, will you take me down? Uh, and then you could just go in and join the queue and see if you had what it takes. And, and the agent liked me and took me in and she said, I want to put this kid on my books. And my mum and dad was like, that's our son, you know? <laughs> and then, um, and I got the first, I got the first three jobs I went for, uh, just pure confidence and having a go. And, and then work just started from there. So I learned doing the job, I learned on the, on the job, basically. I never trained and um, and then that moment when I got when I got the agent, my mum's comment was, "I'd just be happy if he was on Cora because she thought if I get on Cora, then we're happy, we've done it." You know what I mean? It's like so, the Oscars. Uh, it's interesting that you say that as well. That resonated with me slightly because um, for our Christmas Day episode, we reunited some of the cast of Grange Hill, right. and Lee McDonald was one of the, the 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 guys that came on the show. Lovely man, played Zamo. And he was saying, you know, at that age, you just went from job to job to job. And for him, that was his experience until the jobs just stopped. And But as a child actor, you don't realise the harsh realities of, of, a, of an acting career, do you? No, um, I, 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 I'll tell you the truth. And, and I don't, it doesn't matter how this sounds, it is the God's honest truth. I never doubted myself. I never, I never, because where I lived, you know, no one else did that. You know, I was the crazy kid that, you know... Uh, I used to bring. I used to take a comb in my bag to school and a water spray for my hair. I was a bit. I was a bit. A bit vain at school. <laughs> I took a bottle of aftershave on an orienteering trip and it smashed in my bag and it just stunk out the whole area. And it was called jazz. Jazz aftershave. Ah, oh, jazz. I used to fancy any boy that wore jazz. Honestly, jazz was my favourite. Oh, funny. It had. But it I, was a white bottle with a with a yeah. with the drawing of a man in a silhouette, I think, or a black suit on the front. Jazz. Yes. Smell so good funny. though, Will. I'll give it. I'll give you that. It did smell nice. But uh, yeah, I was just a bit of a different kid, I suppose. You know, and I just wanted to. I just really believe one day I'll make it, and I just. I just had this passion for. You know, why can't I make? Why can't I go and do this just because I live on a on a state and and my mum and dad? You know what? Bless them. They stuck by me and they they let me live and try and fight for my dreams. And you know that's why I get I got chance so to do important. it because they. Yeah, they, you need support, you know. Um, yeah, and a lot of luck along the way, but yeah. Well, I don't know about luck. You've got to have a bit of talent as well. Don't do yourself down. I'm, I'm, a, lot, I'm a lot better now. I used to panic about things a lot, um, even when... Cause, because I was sort of flattered by my own success in a way because I, because after, after I did Hollyoaks, which was my break, it was my break into, you know, into mainstream because then you're, on, you're in magazines and you're in papers and you're in billboards and all of a sudden mm. fame and all these things. And I was only 19 and I'd gone from from zero to a hundred overnight. Um, and it took me a while to deal with that. Um, and also who, who am I now? You know what I mean? And, and then all of a sudden, you know, 
the drive to to want to achieve more is why I left Hollyoaks because I did it for two years and I thought if I stay here for much longer I probably might I might not ever get to leave or I might not get to do other things and and my mum and dad said do not leave Hollyoaks you might never work again and I said if I don't leave I'll never know so I have to and I think it was a risk that I took and it worked but it was a risky move and I had balls to do that at the time and then as time went on the confidence of me having that ball sort of went and I was sort of panicking about what if I don't work rather than I will. It started to go into what if I don't work? Yeah. I've got kids now, you know, and I've got bills to pay. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't care about money when I was, it was success that drove me and making my parents proud and my family and, you know, and then, but once you start getting into property and having family and then all of a sudden your priorities are them and then you think, God, I'm in a, such a, it's a dodgy business to be in because there's no guarantees if the phone doesn't ring, you don't work. And and then it's like, how long do I wait before I start saying yes to the things that I, I didn't really want to do before? Or other opportunities, you think, if I say no to that, what if nothing else comes? And all these panics started to happen. Mm-hmm. And then just recently, um, a lot of things happened to me personally. And, and I realized there's a lot more to life to worry about. And I, I just grab life by the, by the scruff of the neck now and just try and enjoy the simple things and the things that... I can control. Don't worry about the things you can't because you'll never will control them. So I've sort of settled a bit more now. I've got a bit older. Yeah, I really, really understand that. I was exactly the same. You panic, you freak out. It's anxiety, actually. We just didn't call it that back then. You know, lying awake at night, tight chest. What yeah. if, what if, what if that got catastrophizing over things? What if that, you know, what if I never work again? That, that was a, a very real and present fear, especially when you have got kids to provide for. Um, yeah. And I, d- I don't know how I've managed to put that into a much healthier place, but I have. And, and how do you think you've done it for you? <clears throat> I don't know whether it's an age thing, but I think it's got a lot to do with losing my father last year. Um, my, yeah, everything I'm so changed. sorry to hear that, Will. No, thank you. Um, yeah, it's still tough, really hard. Um, and, and I know a lot of people have been going through a lot of things that would be tough in normal circumstances. But in this pandemic, to lose somebody uh, when you can't be with them is just horrendous mm-hmm. because... You can't change it. It's unreversable. Um, and the simple things like being able to be with them at that moment or to be able to give them a hug when they're going through something and you have to watch them through a window or sit at the back of a garden just doesn't seem right. But with all that, out of the back of it, I didn't want to sink uh, because I've done it before. My sister passed away. I sunk a bit and I went a bit downhill mm-hmm. and I drank too much. I got into gambling a bit and just chasing highs as you do, you know, and I, I was a bit depressed and I didn't know it. And and I saw the signs this time and I thought, you know what? He lives in me now. And the start of this year, I just thought, I don't care. Listen, whatever happens, I've been through that. He lives in me. I'm going to make him proud whatever I do. So whether it, you know, even if it, it whatever it is, it doesn't have to be massive. I, I stop chasing them big things. Just just if something comes your way, grab it. You know, enjoy it for what it is. Stop looking for yeah. what if that, or if I do that, will that damage that? Or, you know, my agents, mm-hmm. if you do that, you know, that might damage your drama career. And if you do the drama, then you won't get much comedy. And if you do singing, you can't act at all. All them conversations. I just say, I don't mm-hmm. care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care what anyone else thinks. And, and stop worrying about that. So I just sort of tried to start this year with a clean slate and go, I'm just going to go and enjoy my life and go for walks and look at animals in fields, which is very strange, but I do that quite a lot now uh, just because it's it's something that clears my mind. You know what I mean? Just yeah. simple things in life. It's a lot to process everything that you've been through and mindful of looking after your mum as well and having already had that, yeah. that loss with your sister. It's a lot, Will. It is a lot. And I, hope, I hope you're looking after each other. Yeah, of course. Um, my mum is the priority. She's on her own now and she lost her brother as well yeah. just before Christmas. Um, yeah, it's been really tough. Um, it's, it's just, do you know when things start happening and going wrong, you don't want the phone to ring and it just seems to all come at once. Um, but that, but I think we, you, what I'm trying to do is be mindful and how grateful I have to have my children and my family and <clears throat> the life I have. I'm blessed um, to have my health and, and, and I'm trying to see the simple things in life as the most important to me now. Um, and I think hopefully out of lockdown, that's what I would like for to, to change, I suppose, that we start taking things that we took for granted. We sort of enjoy that and we sort of appreciate yeah. that. As, and be better people to each other. Just be nicer to each other, you know. We, and I think now we've learned to appreciate that we need social interaction. 
So this just be nicer yeah. to each other, and and that's all I would like. You know, I want to wake up smiling and and say good morning to people and take take that as oh that's a good thing that happened today, rather than thinking what about this job and you know stop shaking the trees so much and just go and enjoy it. That's a really good way to explain it, actually. Stop shaking the trees so much. But you have had some proper standout, stellar moments on screen. Uh, you know, we talked about Broadchurch, Line of Duty, another yeah. fantastic series to be a part of, working with Paul Abbott. What have been the moments where, for you, you've felt really proud of, of that work? It isn't really the acting, I suppose. I think getting the job always... I love it because it's like validation that you're all right. Because it, one thing about actors, we're all insecure. <laughs> and, and, and I don't think just actors, I think you probably say yourself, this, yourself, anybody who's in the entertainment mm. industry or business, we know how competitive it is. So to, to, to land a role and for someone to go, you, was, is massive to me still now because you're up against other people. And sometimes it's not about your talent. Sometimes it's whether your face fits or whether you're your right height or your right age or they yeah. might change the demographic. But that personal moment when you go and pour your heart out in front of a director and a you know a producer in a little room in the middle of London or wherever it is for that casting, that's all that matters for you at that moment. And for someone to say, yes, you've got that job, that that's to me still like the first time I ever got a job and I burst into tears when I first got children's ward at 14. I was It was like, oh, I'm good enough then. That means I can do this. You know, because you you don't know. I mean, I know I'm confident and all that sort of stuff and I'll give it me all and I'm driven, but someone else has to make that decision on you. It's not your choice to get that job. So for someone to go, yes, you, it gives you that little boost to go, I'm all right, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. And um, in, in the professional world, it's... Uh, so for me, every job I get, um, I'm flattered to be to for someone that said, yes, him. Um, and... You know, we've had to graft. I've had to graft for everything I've got, um, as as everybody does in this industry. Um, but but role wise, I don't know. I mean, when when I played in Broadchurch, I think that's probably the most different role I'd played up to that point. And for him to take a gamble on me, a risk, um, which 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 I I knew it wasn't a gamble, but <clears throat> nobody thought I would play a character like that because it's the opposite of me. Yeah, but also they did exactly the same with Pauline Quirk. Yeah, She's a menace. Yes. She's horrible. Yeah. You wouldn't leave your yes. kids with her. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I, th I thought that was what was brave about the show, that they did that. They took people who they might have seen on TV before, which can sometimes go against TV programmes, because if you have too many recognisable faces, then people people don't so sometimes don't buy into the character, because they go, oh, that's mm -hmm. just Pauline from Birds, or that's Will from Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisp, or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, <clears throat> so I, I think, I'll tell you that there's one story I'll tell you. Um, when I, I did a thing called The Street, and it was my first gay role, um, and Terry McDonough was directing um, and he's a fantastic director and he went on to direct Breaking Bad and work for Jerry Brockheimer and stuff like that and he, he was a cameraman on Hollyoaks when I started wow. out so he remembered uh, me um, and he wanted to work with me again and The Street came around um, and the, I don't know if anyone's watched The Street it's just it's, it was a phenomenal series um, and it had individual stories and it was my um, it was it was a, a gay role that they wanted me to play. And I went up for it and uh, the director, Terry, um, kept saying, I want Will for this part. We need a masculine man to play this part. Because uh, it was about two builders getting together on a building site when they go up working away together. And my character was, op was open to gay and he saw something in um, another character, which was Vincent Regan, who's a movie star. And um, yeah. So it was two men and that... <laughs> That's what he wanted, but the channel fought him right to the end. No, 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 no. Um, we don't want two masculine men. And Terry, he's a, he's a gay man himself, said, this is what will make it work. Rather than you have a guy that's obviously, you know, whether it be ov overly camp or obviously homosexual, it just, it's too, it's too on the nose. And he fought, and he actually threatened to leave and not do the job if I didn't get the job. And he fought. Wow. And they give it me, and it's as if to say, it's on, on your head, be it, thinking I wouldn't be able to do it. And that was for me, for someone to do that for me and fight for me like that, was, I was overwhelmed. And also, I just thought, right, now we'll show them. And, and it went on to win an Emmy um, in America. Wow. You know? so, so, I, I was, so when you answer to your question, that probably as a story, as a part, for someone to do that for me, 
just it was it was massive you know and um, and it was a big turning point in my career because you know other than that I'd done quite jokey parts and this and that and but it was a very straight um, uh, you know honest drama um, a phenomenal writer and just uh, yeah so that that was a massive part for me for someone to do that for me I tell you I, while I'm on that subject though I'll tell you a funny story um, we were filming the the scenes uh, me and Vincent Regan and we'd never done a gay kiss or anything like that and it was very full on you know I was naked and stuff in it. Um, and um, there's a scene where we're sharing a room together and I, my character is, is openly gay, is gonna t- going to approach Vincent, who's in his, his bed um, in the night. Uh, and I, I have to get out of my bed and I stand in front, so the camera's behind me, so I stand in front of the camera so you can just see me bum in front of the camera. And then I set off and go to get in bed with him and then he freaks out and that's the scene basically. And he goes, I'm not like that, I'm not like you. you and then, obviously, we end up getting it on further down the line. But the scene goes, so he goes, right, action. I get out of the bed, and I stand just across in front of the camera, so it's just me bum and me back. And then I set off to approach the bed, and the director goes, cut. And I went, what, what? He went, your ass look nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I went, what do you mean? He said, he said just, as you set, just as you set off, your bum went, and so squeezed together. <laughs> He said, you're gay, you wouldn't be nervous. I went, right, so I'm thinking, do the scene. Relax your ass, relax your ass. <laughs> I've never been told my ass looked nervous before. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's a true story. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Listening to you and Ralph revisit some of your friendliest and funniest moments of shared history I wondered if you could share with me today just a couple of key moments um, that you would revel in revisiting in terms of nostalgia not with him necessarily from any part of your life but just if you had a chance to go back and I suppose jump back into those moments what would they be oh wow that's a tough question I suppose when I got Hollyoaks um that was um, the start of everything. I was 19 years old, um, just a head full of dreams, you know, and, and jumping. When I got that role, uh, I met Nick uh, Picard, you know, and Jeremy Edwards, and we lived together in a house for two years, and it was some of the best times of my life. We just had no worries. We had a little bit of money in our pocket. We were on telly, and we had at least one party a week, everybody came to our house. So the girls lived at one house at the top of the road. We had this little private road. We lived at the bottom of the house and we just parted and had just freedom uh, and just, and I'd, you know, we didn't think nothing of, you know, as I say before, we getting up for work in the morning wasn't a problem because we were young enough to bounce back. Um, yeah. And every day was exciting. 
every day there was some stuff. It was like being a student with money. Do you know, just everything's going on. <laughs> no one cared. They did a great job, yeah. yeah. We had two pool tables. We had two PlayStations going off. We had tournaments. We had a bouncy castle. I don't know why, but we had a bouncy castle for the parties in the garden. <laughs> yeah, people used to sleep on it. Stupid. We, we just, it was weird. It was just, you'd come home at the end of the day and there'd be four lads who all lived together and anything would be, would be possible what was going to happen that night. It was just brilliant times and... And I'd love to go back and relive that for a week, I suppose. And they're, they're just, yeah, just to, to have that again, because uh, you know it's gone now. And um, they, just that feeling, you can't get back. You just, because everything's in front of you. You haven't experienced it yet. I mean, I, I'd experienced living in, in Bredbury in Stockport on a council estate with my mates playing football and just messing around and, have, and and just dreaming of this life. And then once you get it, it was just magic. It was like, Wow. Wow, I'm, I'm on that. I used to drive past the billboard and I was on it. I was going, that's me. <laughs> I, remember, I remember I got offended once because someone had drew a pair of glasses on my face, you know, on the, <laughs> on the, on the, on the side of the bus stop. Uh, but just them moments, I suppose, I mean, it's just that feeling of freedom and pure anything's possible and the dream of uh, everything was coming true on my dream. So that feeling, um, I'd like to go back and revisit that. And be in that house with them boys. It must have been because you were you were three, hot to trot. I mean, good looking guys on a hit show, living living your best life. I mean, it actually I, I get it. It doesn't get any better than that. And to go back and have that energy and that sense of optimism again must would be lovely, wouldn't it? Because I remember always feeling energetic and optimistic, and I really struggle on both of those fronts these days. <laughs> Yeah, especially with the energy. God, yeah. I, I make noises when I bend down to pick some up. I do that now. I've got noises. Yeah. I've got my knees don't work much anymore. It's just I'm. Um, it's weird because I don't mentally. I, I, I love life, and I'm, I'm mentally I'm sort of still quite young-minded. But my body doesn't do the same as it used to do. <laughs> you know, I I can't I can't bounce back as quick anymore, and you know, and you know, I haven't got as much energy. But I really do try. Um, my wife's my wife is. 100% convinced I've got ADHD but I was never diagnosed with it because I find it hard to stay still yeah you do you do jump around a lot don't you I do there's a young boy in me still trying to get out hold on to him Will hold yeah, on to him That's stay what young say. for as long as we can that's what I say so you want to go back and, and revisit those those heady beautiful hedonistic days of yeah. of, of starting out on Hollyoaks any other kind of key moment in your life that you'd like to even if you just go back for 24 hours and, and, and do it again I don't know. I, I remember, well, when Two Pints finished, I, I, I got very emotional, actually. We were filming in front of a live audience and because Two Pints was filmed in front of a live audience, it was like doing theatre every week. Um, that feeling of walking out, the energy, because you'd rehearse all week. Um, we'd, we'd, re we'd rehearse 10 o'clock till 3 o'clock in the afternoon and we used to still complain it was too early because that's what you were like, weren't you? One way to make an actor complain, give him a job. Um, so <laughs> yeah. we used um, so we uh, we used to yeah go in and re and then so it was great and then Friday night you go in rehearse and then you'd be in the makeup room you hear the audience coming in and the buzz and you get them the adrenaline rush and the nerves and you'd walk out and because they, they're there to watch your show you know, it was like everyone's cheering and you do the show you have a real good laugh doing it people are enjoying it and then we'd all go out afterwards and celebrate and we'd be every Friday we'd all go out as a cast and. You know, it's a shame because once you finish filming something like that, it just it stops. You know, you say, well, stay in touch, we'll be... And it just... You all sort of go away to your own lives. Um, Life gets in the way. I really understand that because I'm trying to remember what year it would have been. But at the peak of um, Friends being a huge success and they shot in much the same way you did, rehearsed a week and then shot in front of a live studio audience. And very few shows are shot like that these days, certainly post-COVID. So I, got, I had this brilliant assignment and I'd spent months setting it up where I got a gig to go out and cover the making of one episode of Friends from the writer's room wow. to the edit. And it was, and I wrote about it for both Marie Claire and the Sunday Times. And we wow. did this big cover shoot with this brilliant photographer called Patrick Demarchelier with the three female cast members. But it was extraordinary. And it, coming home from that trip was like the biggest holiday come down ever because the excitement and the energy of watching something begin, you know, 
with the writers mapping it out and then the cast getting it on its feet and being in those rehearsal rooms was so exciting. And then like we'd go out for lunch and they were so welcoming of me. The, the first day on set, I had to go in the clothes that I'd flown in because my bags had got lost. And Jennifer Aniston, God love her, bought in a set of clothes for me from home. Now, the fact that she no. thought they would fit was, was the greatest compliment any other woman has ever wow. paid me. Wow. Um, which was so kind of her. And then they'd say, come and join us for lunch. We're going to go and sit in the sun. And you know, like on those massive lots at Warner Brothers, yeah. you could have, I mean, there were so many other things going on there. Lots of films, lots of TV shows. So we'd go, we're set out one day in the sun. And, um, and I think Courtney Cox called over. She goes, oh, there's my friend George. And like, George, come here. <laughs> and he comes over and it's George Clooney. My wow, words. wow, wow, wow. I like, we had this mad, amazing magic carpet ride week is probably the best way to describe it. And then I, I, you know, I watched the show go through to the edit and I get, I get come back on the plane and I start transcribing my interview and I'm, you know, had a lovely time. But then I just think, I want to do that all day, every day, every week, and even just as an observer. So to have that for 10 years, which is what you did with Two Pints, that must have been incredible. Well, I'll tell you what, though. That is, I mean, I'm glad that you said they were welcoming because there was a few stories around when that English... Remember the English actress went in who played Ross's partner? There was an English actress Helen that Baxendale. went in. Helen Baxendale. And apparently... Well, the, the word around the campfire was they didn't treat her very nice and they, she was an outcast. And now you've told me that story, I don't see how true that could be. That really wasn't my experience at all. They, You know, they could not have been lovelier and they didn't make a habit of having a journalist on set um shadowing shadowing that process um so yeah i mean they could they would they would have had every right to keep me on the peripheries but they really didn't they were massively that's so nice that's a good story yeah that's a great story that's a great story My final question to you is about the cat, Will. Oh, right. It's just typical, like, something like this could happen to me. It, the thing was, the cat had been missing for about seven or eight months. And, and it was a Bengal. So Bengals, if you get one that looks like the tiger, you know, they get the, you get the, we had a white one and we had a ben, another one, both Bengals. And uh, and they're quite semi-wild. So we do, I don't like keeping cats in the house because I think it's a bit tight. So I said, we should just let, let them run and they'll come back. And he kept coming back and then... Leo, his name was, and then he just kept going for longer. So he'd go for two weeks and then he'd come back and he used to, we used to get a phone call from the old people's home. Uh, we've got your cat, Leo, and we'd come and pick him up. And then he'd, and he just, I think he just loved attention. So what can I do? <laughs> yeah, so, and then it was gone seven or eight months and I thought, well, he's not coming back. And then someone, um, we got a, a phone call, I think, or someone came to the gate from the, from the vet saying, we've got your cat, Leo. So my daughter was over the moon. Um, so I, I came home and Leo turned, and he, he looked a lot. He looked a bit different. He was a bit more shaggy and a bit like he'd been sleeping rough. You know what I mean? And I thought, well, that's possible. <laughs> and his meow was wrong. He was going like that, and I thought it doesn't sound well. So I took him to the vets, and they, they, they diagnosed that he he had throat cancer, uncurable. And they said the best thing we've got to do is put him down. And I said, we've only just got him back. My daughter's over the moon, and I had a, I had a chip on my cat. And I said, they said, oh, it's Leo, definitely Leo. And I said, but that's not my address. And they said, it's, the chips can get corrupt. And I thought, that sounds strange. And now I know they just wanted someone to put that cat down because what's happened is I've took it, I've took the cat home. We had one more day with it. I took the cat back in the basket and I was honestly crying my eyes out because I, I, I love animals and stuff like that. And I, I put him in, and, and, and honestly, I, I was that bad at the reception. The lady said, do you want to go into the other room? <laughs> I, was, I was crying. Put me, I was in the relative's room sobbing. Uh, I just felt so bad that I was doing this to an animal. Anyway, I come home with the empty basket, and I, I got the ashes, put them on the mantelpiece, and then, like you said, a couple months later, we got a phone call. We've got your cat, Leo. He's been run over. I said, you haven't. My cat's on the mantelpiece. And they said, oh, no, we've checked. It's your address, this... So I looked and I thought, well, who's that on my mantelpiece then? Who have I put down? Um, and it was Leo and his back leg had been what? crushed and stuff. And the thing was, my daughter's, my daughter's going mad. Oh, he's back from the dead. Oh, Leo. And I was like, <laughs> the, vet, 
the vet's telling me I've got to put him down. And they said, listen, what we usually do with the injury, he's got. So I said, I can't do that. My daughter thinks he's come back from the dead. I've, it cost me thousands in vet bills. Oh, do you know how much it is to put a cat on a drip overnight? Unbelievable. More than a human. <laughs> Honest to God. So I've, I've kept him alive. We've, we've, we've looked after him. We've nurtured him. I've got a cage for him so he can't stand up on his back legs. The operation didn't go right. I had to have it redone. Thousands it cost me. Then he's strong enough to walk. We let him out of the cage. The door window's open. He jumps out the window. He's been gone ever since. I've not seen him since. No! He's gone. Gone. <laughs> Use me. Use me. Cost me a fortune. He's gone. Oh, my God. And now God. I've, I've still got that cat on my mantelpiece. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know whose it is. I don't know. I've got, I've got some cat's ashes. I don't know whose they are. <laughs> You've been catfished by your own cat. Exactly. Seriously, man. <laughs> Honestly, I hope I don't see him again. Seriously. I, I, I don't want to, because I'm fuming with him. I do all that. And he just goes, seen a bit. Cheers for that. So, yeah, it, it was a true story. You were trying to do the right thing, and it ended up being epically the wrong thing. I just wondered if you've got another example in life where you've gone into a situation with the best of intentions and ended up literally doing the wrong thing. I've done it. I do it too many times. Um, I, I do it because I do mean well, but my vocabulary, because I wasn't at school, I was trying to make everyone laugh rather than listen. So my vocabulary can be a bit blunt at times. And, where, and, and I try to be nice and, and say things. And then people say, well, you can't say that. And I, I did it. I've done it a few times. I did it with a girl at a party. And I think other people have made this mistake. And it's a genuine mistake, but I was trying to make conversation. And she was stood next to me at a party in Liverpool. I was doing Hollyoaks. And I was a bit nervous. I'm in this party, didn't really know many people. <clears throat> and I turned to her and I just looked at her and I thought, oh, and I, and I rubbed her belly. I went, oh, and she went, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> I thought she was pregnant. And I went, oh, it's the... It's the dress. No, I'm trying to talk my way out of it. It's the dress. It's the dr and she goes, what's up with my dress? I'm going, no, it's like a maternity dress. She went, do you mean I look like I've got a maternity dress on now? I went, no, I'm, oh. I've I, I actually rubbed her belly. And she, she was just a bit overweight. Honestly, it was terrible, Kate. Oh. It was, I had to leave. I had to leave. I'd never even met her before. I didn't know who she was. I just thought. That'll be a nice way to talk to somebody, and I've instead of offended her, I did it. I did it with another girl when I first got with Michelle. Um, my wife's black, um, and I didn't know much about black culture. But I was I, once I started to learn a bit, I started to show off a bit, you know, in situations like I know a few things, and and I saw and, and this girl comes in the shop. This black girl comes in the shop, the local like corner shop, and I, and um, my wife wears weaves and wigs, and she has hair plastic, all different things. Anyway. I saw his guy and I went, I went to, and I went to her and I says, all right, love, it's a nice weave. And, and my wife said, you can't say that. I said, I just complimented her on a weave. She said, you might as well say, that's a nice wig. I said, well, I was trying to be nice. And she said, the worst thing is, it's coming from a white man telling her she's got, which means her weave is <laughs> awful because you can tell. And I honestly, oh, yeah. I was, she said, you're trying to show off thinking you know things and you don't <laughs> keep your mouth shut. And I was like, I was trying to be nice. I was trying to compliment her. And she said, she said no, that's a, it's a compliment is when you don't know it's a weave, not when you go, that's a nice weave. I was like, all right. <laughs> so note to self, don't rub people's bellies and don't compliment women on their weaves. Has uh, Michelle probably got like, um, I don't know, like a little catalogue of disasters that she's collected with you along the way, where she's just kind of go, no, don't do that. Well, yeah, I'm just quite cringy, but I, I, sometimes I enjoy it. I enjoy, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, I definitely enjoy embarrassing my children. I think, you know, it's, that's part of my job. Once you had kids, I thought, I am going to be the embarrassing dad. I don't mind. If, a, if we go on holiday, you know, like it's, you go, as soon as I'm on holiday, I'm, I'm like, freedom. And then, and then so, when they, and you know when you go and they have like some entertainment and they go, well, okay, we're going to get a few people on stage. Anyway, I'm first up, me. Michael Jackson impressions. Anyone want to get up? I'm like, give it here. I'm on. The kids are like, don't you dare. Don't you dare. I don't care. Get me on that stage. I've had a few Uzos. I'm off. <laughs> I love it. How old are your kids now? They're almost adults, aren't they, Will? Yeah, my son's 16. Um, so literally, God. as soon as I breathe, I'm embarrassing. He's, he's 17 yeah. in, um, in July. My daughter's 12. She's 13 in June. Um, and yeah, I am. I am embarrassing to them. Honestly, they, do, 
they don't find anything I do cool, no matter what it is. I, even, I did a Viking film called Viking Destiny, um, I think it's called Of Gods and Warriors over here. Um, playing a Viking, all the gear on, sword fighting. I was Lord Sony, I was like the hero in this film. They wouldn't even watch it. I said, yeah, son, you'll like this one. <laughs> no, I'm all right, I'm watching YouTube. No, I'm all right. I'm going to play on the PlayStation. No, I'm talking. I was like, they don't even want to watch it. They won't even watch it. Nothing. <laughs> they not. I, I was. I was thinking my son will like this. And we've, my dad's like a Viking. Didn't care. Embarrassing. But I, I don't mind because I don't take myself seriously. And I and I think deep down, you know, they laugh really. But they are. They, they are embarrassed by it. And, and my son just everything I come out with. Why'd you do that? And I just can't help it. I, I love it. I love. <laughs> I love it. I love having my kids around me. And do you know what it is? I, I, I'm. I'm terri- I mean, you must be the same. I'm terrified of them growing up and leaving the house and, and I don't have it anymore. I don't have the cuddles on the couch. and we don't. I mean, I don't really get that much anyway now with my son especially. We had to develop a, a handshake, a special handshake, because I used to kiss him goodnight. Goodnight, son. And he was like, whoa, palm me in the face. We don't do the kissing anymore, Dad. I went, right, well, when did that stop? Now it stops right now. <laughs> and then we, I, had to, I had to develop like a new handshake. So I came up with it and I said, listen... I've come up with a handshake that's just between me and you, son. So when I say goodnight now, we'll do it. And it's our thing. So whenever I'm around, whenever I'm saying this is what we'll do. So that's what we do now. But it means I still get to say goodnight to him and I still have that little thing. And it just, it's just, I, I, you know, I love my family. They're my world. So I just don't want them, you know, I want to enjoy oh. them while they're, while they're here. While, while, while they're still not, you know, getting too old to want to be near me. But I don't, I don't want you to confuse, you know, what the cat did to you with what your kids might do to you. They're not going to run off and only come back to be sort of, you know, sorting out their medical bills. Yeah, well, they, they, yeah, my, my son only turns, gets out of bed when he wants food. You put food on, he gets out of bed. You do it Three o'clock in the afternoon, you put a bit of food on, he comes down, what's that, what are you eating? It's like, it's, this is dinner. What are you talking about? Where have you been? <laughs> the breakfast was a long time ago. So yeah, he's uh, he's at that age where it's hard to get him to get out of bed and tidy up and all that stuff. But we turn into our parents, don't we? Will we really have turned into our parents? Yeah, I tried my best, but it, 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 yeah, I'm turned definitely turned, especially with technology. I'm useless. I mean, I have to get my son to do everything. Dad, son, he does it in like ten seconds as well. I've been there for about yeah. an hour. I know it's a bit serious, right? But saying this, but I think the education system's got to change because how can they have the same education system as what we had? We the did. world's a completely different place. It's a completely different place. You, you know, if you go for a job now, they don't care if you can do long division. They don't care. Can you use that computer? And they certainly don't look I'll at your it. handwriting, do they? <laughs> no, right. they don't look at your handwriting at all. And also, why do they still teach French and German? Why not just teach Spanish? I mean, the way I see it is if you can speak Spanish... You can sp- exactly. A Mandarin, yeah. Well, Mandarin's quite difficult, I've heard. <laughs> I, I struggle with English. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much. I really can't wait to see you in Corrie, even if you are a badass drug dealing hot mess. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not the nicest of people, but I, you know, I am a bit worried about getting abused in the street because I've already been getting abused. I'm not even on screen yet. People are saying <laughs> you better leave that Le- Leanne and Simon alone. They've been through enough. And I'm like, I, I'm an actor. I've done other things. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a drug dealer, you know. So it's, uh, I just think. <laughs> I am expecting quite because some people live and die by it. I'll tell you one quick yeah, story before do. I go. One quick story. Yeah. This is the truth. This and this is when I realised that people believe soap operas are real. I was do I did Brookside uh, when I was seventeen. Uh, played Jackie Dixon's boyfriend, Paul Howard. I was called. I had a van called a Passion Wagon. I had a mattress in the back. You can imagine what he was like. Uh, and, um, oh God. Yeah, it was terrible. Uh, and I ended up getting this. Uh, a girl a girl pregnant she was only 16 Leanne uh, so my character got her pregnant found out and he, he did one back to Manchester right and he's, he left the show right that's it done so anyway I'm going out to meet my mates and I'm, there was a cut through going from my mum's house to round the corner to near where the pub was and I used to go cut, cut through to get there so walking the other way was this woman this elderly lady all older than me She's walking towards me, and as I get closer, she went slap and cracked me right across the face, full-handed. Harsh. Uh, yeah, and I went, you doing? She went, you've got that girl pregnant. You better go back there. She's pregnant. She's only 16. And I said, it's not real, you potty get. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and I, she said, you understand. And I got out the other side. I met my mates, and they went, you all right? And I had this big handprint on my face where this woman had cracked me. And I just thought, she's a grown woman. And she believed it. She saw me and thought, that's him. Whack. And cracked me. Terrible. 
So I'm just a bit worried that I just have to, I'm glad in a way that I've done other things so people know that I'm not really a drug dealer and I'm not, I'm not really bullying them. I, I am definitely, I'm not going outside after, after I've been out on air on the 12th of March, I won't be, I'll, I'll have to just stay in. Mind you, what's new? I've been in for the last year. Can't go out anyway. Just as we're coming out of lockdown, you can't go out because you're hated. <laughs> hated. <laughs> That's so you. Hated. Or either that, or I'll be getting dodgy people coming up to me going, have you got out? Have you got out? What have you got on you? Have you got out? <laughs> <laughs> At festivals, I'll be surrounded. <laughs> yeah. There'll be a queue. Go and see Harvey. Harvey. Go and see Harvey over there. He'll have something. Go and see Harvey. <laughs> Oh, well, it's so lovely to see you. It really is. And continued success in Thank all you, that darling. you do. You are one, one of the, the, the finest actors out there, and it's great to see Thanks, uh, you being challenged and stretched. Lots Thanks, of love. darling. Lovely to see your face again, darling. I've not seen you for so long, but lovely to you and your family. Take oh, care, darling. You too. And anyone listening, if you want to have um, a really, really lovely hangout and chat with uh, Will and Ralph, uh, as they do, is what's the podcast called? It's called Two Pints. Two Pints of Will and Ralph. Ralph yeah, Two Pints of Will and Ralph. We have got two series, one season, two seasons. Yeah, uh, halfway through season two now. And they're really good. Thank yeah, you. Please do go and join them. They're good yeah, fun. It's good fun. Thank you very much. Take care. I'll see you at V Festival next Ralph. year. Same place, same yeah, but- time. <laughs> Will, you're showing your age. They stopped doing that years ago. Oh, they, right, right. I'll leave it there. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Well, I'll still meet you. I'll, meet, I'll just meet you in the field. We'll bring, I'll, bring, I'll, I'll bring see it. you in a field in Essex. I'll bring me Gatto Blaster. That's showing me age as well. <laughs> do some body popping. I'll bring, me, I'll, bring me, I'll bring me Lino. We'll do a backspin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much, Kate. Lovely to see you, darling. Take care. Loads of love. What a treat to catch up with Will Miller. And you can catch him on the cobbles, being a menace, upsetting Weatherfield, as of March the 12th. That's it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, the show's produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Richard Hatherall for Yahoo UK. Editing and co-producing is from Callum God of Mucklow. And our music, as always, is provided by Andy Bell, whose back catalogue with Oasis, Ride and his solo material are available on Spotify and iTunes. We'll be back next week. Until then, try to drink responsibly. We always do. And look after yourself. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.